In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But all those up through the 12th grade, please come forward. Does he have a name? No. No. Push. Push. Push is his name? That's a nice one. Here, you want to hold it for me? Okay. Okay, so Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Pepsi? Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi? Dr. Pepper, who said that? Me too. Diet Dr. Pepper. Coke or Pepsi? Coke? Coke, Coke. We got Cokes and Pepsis here. Do they quench your thirst when you take one? Ah, this is what I needed. You ever do that? You ever been out in the yard playing really hard sports or just running around playing tag or something and the sun's beating down on you and you're just so, you get so tired and you come in, I'm thirsty. Anybody? No, ever? Not ever? Did you ever do that? You ever get thirsty? Just because we have to have something to drink, don't we? Right? Yeah. So, in the gospel reading today, Jesus met a woman at the well, and he told her that he was going to give her living Water. If they had Coke or Pepsi, he'd probably have given her a Coke. But he's talking about living water right now. And what do you think that living water was? Life. Life? In whom? In God. In God. Uh, eternal life in Christ. Eternal life in Christ. And I think what Jesus is telling us and was telling the woman at the well is that, you know, you can drink all this water in this well and you can have Coke and you can have Pepsi and you can have tea and you can have Dr. Pepper and you can have all these things, but you're always going to be thirsty for that. You're always going to be thirsty. Your, your throat's always going to want something to drink. But he says to the woman and he says to us, he said, but I have something to give to you. I have living water where you will never be thirsty again. And he's not talking about thirst here. He's talking about thirst here in the heart. So if you drink this living water, and who's the living water again? God, God Jesus himself, I, the son of God, Jesus. So if you drink of me, then you will never, ever be thirsty again because I will satisfy everything that you desire, Jesus says. And so when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we drink the living water from the chalice, don't we? The, the, we believe that is the real presence of Jesus. He gives himself to us that way. 
And so we come to be nourished and we come to be fed. Every Sunday we come to church. He gives himself to us. He gives himself to us in the reading of the Bible, doesn't he? But when we hear and we, and we pray and we receive, he's giving himself to us, his words, his truth. And then he gives himself to us in the, in the bread and the wine, doesn't he? So he's constantly doing everything he can to show that he is the living water. He's going to satisfy everything that we need. That's who God is. He gives us everything we need. So believe that. Remember that and practice that, okay? All right. If you want to get a packet for Mr. Music over there, you can go get a packet in color and go back to your pews with your parents or grandparents while we listen to Deacon Kathy. Whoa, missed one more time. Thank you. morning. If I've done, uh, oh, sorry, I thought everybody had gone. As I've done in my previous sermons, I like to give you a little insight into phrases that we use all the time that we may not know their meaning, so I have a few today. The first one is caught red-handed. This is used to indicate that a person has been discovered in or just after the act of doing something wrong or illegal. But here's the origin. There was an old law stating that if someone butchered an animal that didn't belong to him, he would only be punished if he was caught with the blood on his hands. If one was caught with the meat but his hands were clean, he would not be punished. So therefore, do as your mother said and wash your hands. The next one, turn a blind eye, pretend not to notice. The origin is, it is believed that this phrase originates with a naval hero, Horatio Nelson, who used his blind eye to look through his telescope. This way he was able to avoid signals from his superior who wanted him to withdraw from battle. He attacked nevertheless and was victorious. Give the cold shoulder. We've probably all done that once in a while. Reject or be deliberately unfriendly to. This saying that is currently considered to describe someone rude was actually considered an act of politeness. During the medieval times in England, after everyone was done feasting, the host would give all of his guests a cold piece of meat from the shoulder of a beef or pork as a way of showing that it was time for everyone to leave. So I'm not sure if that's polite or not, but I guess they got the point, and I guess they got free meat, so, you know, can't turn that down. In today's gospel, we heard the story of Jesus' encounter with a woman in Samaria. Samaria was not a place that the Jews in that time period would normally have visited. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds by most Jews. This was because in 722 B.C., the Assyrians had conquered Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. They took many of the Jews to Assyria as slaves and kept a number of the Assyrians and a great number of the Assyrians moved into the conquered land. 
The Jews intermarried with the Assyrians and the Jewish religion became a mixture of Judaism and Assyrian idolatry. The Hebrew prophets condemned Samaria for its ivory houses and the luxurious palaces displaying their pagan riches. You may recall the story of King Ahab, who was a king of Samaria from 874 to 853 BC, and Jezebel, his wife. They plotted against Naboth, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, because they wanted his vineyard. But Naboth, I can't say it, I'm sorry, Naboth was not in the market for a buyer. This was his ancestral inheritance, and he refused to sell to the evil king and his very evil queen, Jezebel. Jezebel plotted to have Naboth falsely accused of treason and blasphemy, and he was stoned to death. Ahab got his vineyard. 1 Kings 16.30 says that Ahab, son, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. This is only part of the story of the enmity between the two cultures. The Samaritans had even built their own temple in Mount Gerizim, which is believed to be the site of the altar where Abraham prepared his own son, son Isaac for sacrifice. You can see how the Jewish people chose to keep their distance from that part of the country. So now here we are many years later in Samaria with Jesus and his disciples. They were on their way to Galilee, so it must have made sense to travel through Samaria rather than go around it as other Jews would have done. It would save them almost a week of traveling as they were walking on foot, as was their custom. Now most Jews would have taken the longer route east of the River Jordan, not because they didn't like the Samaritans. No, they hated them. But we all know that Jesus didn't always do what was customary. They came to a town in Samaria called Sakar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was located there, and Jesus, tired from the long journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which meant it was about noon, the hottest part of the day. John is the only one of the Gospels that mentions this well. Today we don't know exactly where Jacob's well is, but there is a well at Tel Balada in the Palestine area of, the ancient, the, of ancient origin that is now inside the church of St. Fotina. This church was originally built in AD 380. Fotina is the name traditionally given by the Orthodox Church to the Samaritan woman in our story today. Through the years, the church was destroyed a number of times by natural and military forces. The church and the well can be visited today at the West Bank. Whether this is truly the well in today's gospel, we don't know. But our gospel today does tell us about an unnamed woman who came to draw water from Jacob's well. Jesus had just arrived and is seated by the well all alone. The disciples have gone to the town to find food for them all. Jesus does not seem to be a bit surprised to find a woman all by herself in the heat of the day coming to draw water. On the surface, this seems to be a normal occurrence, but in fact, it is not. The normal time to come would be in the cool of the evening with the rest of the women of the town. I can just imagine the chattering that may, and maybe even some of the gossiping as the women gathered and one by one filled their water jars. Then they would carry the heavy jars back to the village. I don't know the distance back to the village, but carrying a stone jar full of water had to be heavy. This was something they did every day. 
I recently had to purchase a two-gallon jug of water in a light plastic container, and I could barely lift it into my shopping cart. Then I had to take it from my car and up an elevator to deliver it to someone who needed it. Imagine me having to trek through the sand, holding it in my arms or on my head, as she might have done, and then do that every day. As she drew the water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. That may sound like a normal request, but in fact, it was quite shocking. This was a violation of the social customs of the day. It was quite scandalous that there would be a conversation between a man and a lone woman, much less between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman who were strangers. The woman herself was shocked. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then she stated the obvious, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, of course, she knew the history of the well, so next she, she said, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This was a well-known place to draw water, but she must have thought this stranger would not have known about the well. But as the conversation progresses, Jesus tells her to get her husband and come back. Why would he say that? Jesus was ready to reveal himself to her as the Messiah. He went on to tell her all about herself, including things that other in her town may not have known. Only a prophet would have known all the details that Jesus told her about her five previous husbands and that she was not married to the current man she was with. As Jesus spoke more truths to her, she responded that she knew that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Imagine being the woman who is just told that she is speaking to the Savior of the world, the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. As I wrote this part of the story, my heart started beating a little faster as I tried to put myself in her place. What would I say? What would you say? Could you even speak? I remember a time when one of our daughters called all excited and full of joy. She had been a, part of, been a bit of a wayward teenager, an understatement, and she required a lot of her parents' prayer time. She and our other children were brought up in the church with Eucharist, Sunday school, and then youth group every Sunday. As a teenager, she tried her best to throw away all of that and walk away from her life in Christ. She had a thirst for something and was looking in all the wrong places for the living water that she needed. But one night, she called me all excited to tell me about her newfound life. She had recently broken up with her current boyfriend and the breakup crushed her. He was the one. How was she going to survive without him? The night it happened, she called her home phone. This was long before cell phones. I was not at home at the time, but her dad answered. Through her tears, she poured out her heart to him, and he encouraged her to talk to Jesus and pour her heart out to him. Jim knew that she needed Jesus in her life. 
For once, she listened to parental advice and spent the night crying and praying as she talked to Jesus. She later told me that she fell asleep and had the most wonderful and peaceful night that she could remember. This started her journey to becoming the wonderful, strong Christian woman she is today. She uses her experiences to teach women, young and old, how Jesus gave her a new life, just as he did for the Samaritan woman. As our gospel story continues, the Samaritan woman has just been told that she is speaking to Jesus the Christ. But before she had a chance to say anything, the disciples came back. They were shocked that Jesus was speaking to this woman. You would think by now the out of the ordinary things that Jesus said or did would not have disturbed them. To their credit, they did not say anything, but you can imagine the looks that they gave each other and maybe a few inaudible whispers. Or maybe by now they were used to Jesus stepping outside the box. Next, John tells us that the woman left her jar and ran back to her village and told them, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? So they left the town to go and see this man. Now, why would the townspeople pay any attention to what this woman said? Just a short while ago, she did all she could to avoid encountering anyone from the town. But now she is filled with a new and joyous life, and she can't wait to share it. Do we do that? Do we share what we know about Jesus and how he is working in our lives? Isn't that what we should be doing? After the woman left, the disciples urged Jesus to eat. But Jesus wasn't interested in their offerings. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here was a harvest right in front of their eyes, and he wanted to make sure his disciples saw that field. Do we see the harvest right before our eyes? Are we willing to take what we know out into the world and let those who do not know Jesus know the good news? Sometimes we are so ensconced in our own Christianity, we do not see that there are still many in our own part of the world who do not know him. Let's put down our water jars and run until we find someone to share our story of how Jesus found us, how he knows us and loves us, how he can know and love them too. There is a harvest right before our eyes. Will you be one to reap the harvest by telling your story? If each of us just shared with one other person that does not know Jesus, think of how big a harvest that might be. So please, put down your water jar and run. In the name of the Lord.